Hello, I'm Nick Cater from the Menzies Research Centre and you're listening to The Water Cooler. Our guest today on Water Cooler is Dominic Perrottet. Dominic's the Treasurer of New South Wales and a, a good friend of the Menzies Research Centre. You, you've spoken with us, I think, a couple of times, maybe three times, with our thought leader. I have, Nick. Great respect for the organisation. And, and the fact that we've had you along as a thought leader speaker, I think, says something about the way you approach politics. Let's just go back to that time you spoke to us last October. You were facing an election in New South Wales, uh, you know, in, within six months. Uh, we had the prospect for a federal election soon afterwards. And, and at that time, it did seem that, that things were pretty, you know, you wouldn't want to put your house on it, right? And we... We were making, we were thinking, what happens if we lose government both federally and in New South Wales and in Victoria, of course, which was coming up? You know, the, the, the Liberal Party, the Coalition, would be on the back foot. So what you said then was about, I think you spoke about really how we need to win elections and how, who we need to approach to win those elections. Well, I think was, I spoke about the big focus for, for our government, for the Liberal Party, should be on middle Australia, the forgotten people as, as Menzies um, spoke about in his time as Prime Minister. I don't think much has changed. Um, the reality is it's the working Australians, middle-class Australians um, who don't have time uh, to be on Twitter uh, 50 times a day um, making abusive um, statements or spending time in the afternoon protesting at the Opera House. Um, they are getting on with their lives. They're paying their taxes. They are paying off their mortgage. Um, they are sending their kids to school. Um, raising families, raising the next generation um, and wanting to get ahead. Um, And I think in politics these days, with the increase in media and social media particularly, there's a lot of white noise. And it's easy for politicians um, on both sides to be distracted by those comments that are on every day. The agendas that the media in many uh, senses have become less reporters, but more commentators and opinion leaders in their own right. And it is tempting for politicians to appease or to seek um, somehow praise and recognition um, from the issues that um, certain media outlets or opinion leaders care about and lose sight of who we're actually there to represent. Um, And that's mainstream Australia. When you're a politician or, or probably even more so as a minister and your day is taken up with people coming in to talk to you, uh, most of them, or perhaps almost all of them, would be in that, you know, that uh, inner city crowd, you know, university educated, you're, you're seeing people from industry, bureaucrats, uh, journalists, you know, they, they all generally tend to fit in that set, don't they? So how do you, as a politician, make sure your your understanding of the way the electorate is, isn't skewed too much by that? Well, you've got to get out. I mean, one of the great... Um um, opportunities uh, I think you have as a politician is going out and visiting a whole range of communities and there are diverse communities right across our state and they all have different needs and concerns but if you're going to spend your time and I say this as treasurer which is important that you're in the boardrooms you're listening to the business community um, but at the same time you're not captured by them uh, because you see this you know, the virtue signaling these days of major corporations that you have to take your entire self to work that you must sign up to the values and philosophies that um, these the major corporations, in, in many sense, believe that it's it's their way or the highway that uh, they actually, under the guise of trying to create what they would call inclusive workplaces, are creating exclusive workplaces, um, and it's only their sort sort of morality 
um, that that um, that counts and you have to sign up to. But I think what we've seen uh, through these last two elections um, is that um, these ideas and, and some of these ideologies um, really are taken up by and, and, and promoted by one or two percent of the population um, vigorously, um, but they, they are not where uh, the main working class people of this uh, of this state are. I thought that was particularly true at the state election here, um, where if you read the media, most of the media coverage, with a few um, honourable exceptions, they defined the election as being about a few uh, small issues. Uh, one was the stadiums. You know, there was supposed to be widespread outrage about the fact that you were building two new stadiums. And I, in a football-loving state, I couldn't quite see why that would be, but but that's we were told that's what the election was about. And yet when I spent some time out in, in Penrith... Uh, with Stuart Ayres, I didn't meet a single person who raised that. Their concerns were much, much more day-to-day, much more parochial. It's interesting because one thing's the polling. We have tracking polling through the election, um, and that was certainly coming through that whilst Labor made this whole campaign about building a stadium, um, that wasn't coming through to us. And not just the polling, but as you say, on the ground, you're saying you're out in Penrith, your local members who are meeting... um, uh, day-to-day people out in their communities um, uh, often, they, they are the best gauge of what those issues are. Um, so speaking to them gives you a sense of what the issues are on the ground. And um, in a lot of ways, um, we, we knew that what was most important was that, that people had a job, that the economy was going well so they could provide for their families, that um, their young, um, their, their, you know, their kids could get into the housing market. Um, that they had the best access to education and healthcare. They were by far um, the major issues as well as building infrastructure. And what we couldn't do at the time was go out and say, well, you to the media, you've got it completely wrong. We know best because that would just simply antagonise them. But we can quietly and confidently have sat there and known where they were was not where the people of New South Wales were. And um, I think there's a real issue these days that the media are becoming more and more disconnected um, from where people are at um, and but at the same time that provides a challenge for um, for us as as politicians to make sure we're not um, distracted um, by that doesn't mean you ignore it you want to make sure you, you the, the media needs to report on what the government's doing but at the same time it's not for the media or for commentators to set the agenda we're the elected representatives and that's and that's our job they, they've got worse. I, think. I mean, I, I say I've got great respect for journalists. Most journalists are, uh, are, are honest, uh, properly professional people who are just trying to get the story right. But it seems to me that they increasingly are concentrated in one part of the country, in in, in almost in a in a huddle. Um, you know, you, this, the Australian Bureau of Statistics will tell this. You know that that one fifth of the journalists in Australia live in three seats in inner city Sydney, um, and they don't get too many living out in Penrith. Uh, plus, I think they're they're busier than ever before. You know, the business model is is struggling, so they're having to work harder, less time to leave the office. I think they're under a lot more pressure as well, Nick. I think yeah. they've got to deliver yeah. every single day rather than actually take time to, to to analyze policies and 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 that's a and that's a challenge they have. But I also think as well, you know, you look at this federal election, um, some of these some of these policies, particularly where I think the Labor Party have fallen down, is that. They've really missed their base. I mean, this is a party that's based on the working class. Never before, I think, in our country's history has the Labor Party become more disconnected uh, to working Australians 
than they are today. And I've said in the parliament, which numerous times, that we've become the party of the worker. Um, and they think it's a joke. Um, but it, it's not. We're seeing the union membership um, decline right across the country. It's only strong in the public service. Um, and and they are becoming more and more disconnected from, from where people are at. And I think if you look at some of their policies, um, they may be... Um, they may resonate uh, with the inner west seats where they obviously are strong and they're fighting the Greens um, or in places like Wentworth and Moringa who are never going to vote for the Labor Party um, uh, on, any, on any election. They might vote for an independent as, we, as, as we've seen but they're not supporting the Labor Party. Um, so the challenge for us as a party is to stay true to the Howard Menzies philosophy um, and that is to meet the, the working and middle class and the forgotten people and make sure that whilst that these people don't have time to be writing letters, calling up the radio, um, protesting, um, l- let's not forget that they are, they are the people quietly getting on, the good Australians, wanting, to, wanting, wanting them and their families to get ahead. And our policies, which we've really tailored at a state level, um, are meeting them uh, where they are. Uh, did you saw that instant in Bill Shorten's campaign, one of many mishaps he seemed to have on the campaign trail but it was when a bus driver refused to shake his hand and I thought that's crazy you know like 15 years ago you would have been surprised if you found, found a bus driver who voted for the Liberals you know? yeah and yet that seems to be quite a reversal driven probably by the fact they feel the Labour Party doesn't represent their interests anymore we'll take a seat in the New South Wales election of East Hills a very working class suburb would never have voted for the Liberal Party um, I would have thought um, in their lives We've now won three straight elections um, for that seat, um, even in this, in, this, in this case with a retiring member. Um, and the Labor Party ran um, Cameron Murphy, um, who hailed from Potts Point. Um, in, and that kind of shows where the power of their party is, where their focus is, where their policy development comes from. And it's almost like they, they look down at the people who their party um, was founded on. And even then, their convictions... Um, are not great. I mean, we see Anastasia Palaget uh, in Queensland, um, you know, the great um, uh, morality of, of climate change, um, which they have been um, spruiking in, in Queensland, has now been met um, by her political mortality um, after the election, and she's out now fast-tracking Adani. Um, so that shows you the conviction of the Labor Party when it comes to some of these issues, but I think they are completely lost at sea. I mean, if you look at um, uh, the climate change issue, um, they, Bill was, uh, Shorten was unable to talk about the economic consequences of, or outcome of their policy and, and thought he would get away with that. No, people, and I do believe the majority of Australians want to move to a renewable future. There's no doubt that that is where we are heading, but they want to do it in an economically and sustainable way. And that's the real opportunity our party has. These, there, are, there are issues that the left talk about that cannot be ignored. Uh, they are important. They're important to people across the country. Uh, but it is our job uh, to um, ensure that we address those things in a responsible, in a responsible manner. It seems to me that Angus Taylor was, was a genius, really, in moving the debate from you know, a theoretical debate about the science, which seems to polarise people, to a practical debate about the economics. OK, we, we're going to meet our Paris targets. Let's find a practical uh, way to do it that won't lose somebody else their job. And, and that, was, that was the point. Once the ground had moved, that was the point at which Shorten was very, very uncomfortable talking about it, I thought. 
Yeah, and and one of the and what Labor do very well um, is just send out the labels. You're a climate skeptic. Um, you're a denier. Um, as a conservative, I think we are well, very well placed um, and have a strong focus on on passing on a, a strong environment for future generations to conserve the past and pass it on to the future. That is fundamental to our philosophical views. Um, but we also are fiscally responsible and need to do it in a way that um, ensures that we have energy security, um, that it is sustainable, um, and that people are able to afford to turn their lights on. And when you have someone um, like Bill Shorten during the um, election campaign calling people and combined incomes of $200,000 that are the top end of town shows really uh, how out of touch they had become. And I think John Howard was, was very good at this in terms of when he was prime minister. He spent a lot of time um, out and about in communities right across the country. And that goes back to your question you raised at the start. How, how do you make sure you're not just sitting in an office um, every day um, talking to people who just tell you what you want to hear um, rather than actually getting on the ground and seeing um, those concerns? You look at a seat like Macquarie here in northwest Sydney that's come back to, well, appears to have come back to the Liberal Party. Uh, you'll find a lot of people there with mortgages around eight hundred to nine hundred thousand uh, dollars. The husband would be a tradie. The the wife might be a childcare worker. They've got a couple of kids at at, at a private school, um, and and they're struggling to make ends meet. But apparently, according to to Labor, they're the, they're the top end of town. No, no, they're the workers your party was set up to represent. Um, and uh, when you talk down to them, uh, or you uh, might talk down their faith. Which they did, which he did indirectly through some of his comments in respect of Scott Morrison. Um, uh, I think uh, people see that. Well, you are just not connected to the challenges and the struggles that I have in my life, and, and the values that I live by, and the values that have made our country the great place that it is. Yeah, I'm interested to hear your thoughts further on that because you're you're, you're somebody with a strong faith, uh, somebody who takes you know the spiritual element very seriously in, in your approach to the world. Uh, some of the media seem to think that it was a big risk when Scott Morrison invited the cameras into his church, and it was a, I think, probably a more demonstrative church than yours, the Pentecostal church. But you know, nonetheless, it, 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 they seem to think that was a vote loser, but it seemed to be it was quite the opposite. Yeah, I mean, look, they. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of people with Christian faith across um, across our country, and that's always been and pe- and people practice their faith in different ways. Um, look, I'm I'm not somebody who. Um, uh, would would uh, practice my faith in the same way that that Scott does, but I certainly respect um, the way that his faith and the way that he practices it, um, as as he would me, um, as as many people do right across um, right across this country. Uh, but to some, but the the, the way in which uh, the elite media somehow um, mock him um, as as being well, clearly he's out of touch and. Uh, happy clappy Christian that has no place ironically you know they like they make it out like it's kind of a cult um, yet I remember the the, the the video I saw of um, the get up um, organizers in Warringah uh, where they were all clapping you know we believe that we can win and Dave I've seen anything like a cult um, uh, that was uh, that was that uh, but, but uh, you know I think the, the the irony there was was for all uh, was for all to see but look faith uh, you know the, I think that this is a one of the issues I think Scott raised quite well during the election campaign was we need more civility in this um, in this country and in a lot of ways we have it in the main 
um, Australia um, uh, has very a very very tolerant people who respect other people's um, faiths, um, their views on things. But there's this top end right now uh, treating whether it's in corporate Australia treating their employees like serfs, um, whether it's um, um, and whether it's politicians and commentators uh, who talk down um, on people. Um, I think that. Uh, in, 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 in many respects, in a very violent way. And we saw th- some of the comments from the, the commentariat following this election is in people are turds for voting for, for, the, for, the, for the Morrison government, that people are somehow backward, uneducated. Um, uh, well, how, how arrogant, how arrogant um, can you be and how out of step with, the, with, with, with people who are meant to support a party that is actually based on the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, really based on people from a, from a poorer socioeconomic worldview. Yeah, I think Scott Morrison brilliantly managed to push the buttons that would really make progressives feel very uncomfortable, but uh, most Australians, I think, feel very comfortable. Let's listen to this extract from his victory speech. How good is Australia? This is, this is the best country in the world in which to live. It's a patriotic line, I think, got almost the biggest cheer of the night. Uh, And one that certainly I was in the room, it it sort of raised the excitement for me because it was just what we felt. And, And strongly, I thought, because much, the problem with the progressive Labour position is it's Keep te- keeps telling you what's wrong with Australia. And, and we should be so proud as a country of what we've achieved in such a short space of time. And that comes down to our education system, this black armband view of Australian history. Uh, we have so many heroes in the past that aren't spoken about. Uh, we've achieved, uh, we have, we have uh, put our country through, and, and many of our young men have died um, in wars um, for the freedoms and opportunities um, that we have today. We should be very, very proud of our country and be talking it up. But this is one of the biggest issues, I think, that came through the campaign. Not just the the negativity towards our country, um, but uh, the politics of envy, the politics of class warfare, whilst not overt, was certainly an undercurrent through their policies and everything they stood for. That if you worked hard and got ahead, um, that somehow... um, uh, you were an elite, uh, top end of town uh, person. I think um, John Howard raised, made that point very, very well during during the campaign when he when he was out and about, saying whether it was in Warringah or in Lindsay and places like that, that uh, this is what Australia is based on: working hard, raising your family, and getting ahead, and 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 hopefully you know having a uh, a, a more settled and um, life than, than, than your parents had and, and, and their parents before before them. Um, and that's that's a great thing about our country. And we should be very proud. We should be so proud of what we've achieved and the freedoms and the opportunities um, that we have rather than this negative worldview that leading to this um, sense that we should have year zero and start again because apparently um, we should be somehow ashamed of our past and where we've come from as a people. Yeah, it seems to me it's often underestimated how much of that prosperity uh, a very shared prosperity because wealth is shared relatively equally in this country compared to even, say, Sweden, right? 
So where that came from, and I, it goes back to where we started on this, the forgotten people, and the idea that Menzies said, well, we will empower people to you know work hard and be rewarded. And crucially, he said in that, you remember that forgotten people speech, he made a point of saying, you know, we should encourage people to save for their own retirements. Why do we discourage them from doing that? And in this election, that seemed particularly poignant because there was a real attack on retirement savings or people who were building nest eggs retirement. Yeah, we should be rewarding people who plan um, and get ahead. And what and what does that mean? It means there's less of a burden um, on the taxpayers going forward. I mean, we have we we want a situation where um, I think even you know you go back to the time, which is probably just as as perfect to, to, to make this point now, as Kennedy said, what what are you doing? What can you do for your country, not what your country can do for you? That's the type of Australia, um, as Kennedy was making at that point of time in the United States, uh, that we want. And the average person wants in this country um, wants to get ahead. They want to make a contribution. They want to leave a better better Australia Australia than um, than they inherited. And there was this great story that we were speaking about that um, I read yesterday of someone who said, well, I voted for the Liberals for the first time. And, and someone said, well, why wouldn't you vote for the Labour Party? You'll get more of it. You'll get more handout, more in your pocket. And he said, because that's not what it's about. Um, it's about providing greater opportunities for my kids going forward. And I believe that the best managers of the economy, the best, uh, the, the, the best government to actually make sure our, our, our kids and their kids can get ahead is, is, is through Scott Morrison. And that's, that's a very pleasing thing to hear that those forgotten people, the mainstream Australians, the aspirational Australians, are just as um, prevalent and present today as they were back in Menzies' time. Mm. If you go back 30, 40 years, there was, I think, quite understandable anxiety about what a multicultural society would look like, if, if we call it that, uh, you know, whether our traditional values would be eroded. But it seems to me quite the opposite's occurred. And in this election that's just gone, we've still got to unpack the full figures and where the vote was. But it's, it's already coming through very clearly that we did particularly well with sections of the uh, immigrant community. So particularly, it seems, the Chinese community in seats like Reed and Chisholm, remarkably, and the Indians too. I mean, they seem to be, you'd know, I mean, in your neck of the woods, uh, you know, in Sydney, they are great supporters of the Liberal Party, increasingly. Yeah. Um, they're aspirational, Nick. And, yeah. and, and they're aspirational and they've, come, and they've been attracted to come to Australia for a reason. Because those values that were there um, over the last 30, 40, 50 years that you speak about um, are still here today and it's our duty to continue to pass them on and to argue for them um, and for people to understand the, the, the importance of them. And I think um, that's what's attracting a lot of people to come to this country and raise their kids here. Uh, and uh, you're right, in those multicultural communities, uh, they're becoming stronger supporters um, of the Liberal Party uh, and that's why we need to maintain the values that our, that has set our party up um, for success and not be distracted uh, by the white noise um, or what uh, people believe are social, social acceptable causes that one must subscribe to um, in order to have any place in civil society. Uh, because I think the biggest losers out of this election are those who have told us um, where Austra- what, what Australia is and where it should be going. Um, and um, and have left behind uh, the real Australians, the real people who just work every day and try and get ahead, and not those living in uh, twenty million dollar houses with a Zali Stegall uh, sign outside, virtue signaling to the world um, about issues that really um, are disconnected from where mainstream Australia is. 
Yeah, which is greatly reassuring, isn't it? Because it shows that those values that we believe in, um, you know, the, the encouraging the individual, helping the individual to get ahead, helping those who, stopping people getting left behind. But I think a big part of it too is seeing everybody as equal, treating everybody with equal respect. Those are human values in the end when you unpack them. They're not liberal values or Australian values, aren't they? That, that, that's very true, that they are human values, that our country is promoted and, and um, uh, is a Western um, democracy um, and, has set our, and has set our country up for great success. But part of, I think one of the issues as well is making sure that we can disagree with each other uh, but do it in a, in a civil way. Uh, you know, we have robust debates in Parliament, um, uh, but, you know, you shouldn't verge on the personal. Um, in fact, I think that the more, it's better to win arguments with wit. Uh, but at the same time, those, the, the, that's the battlefield of democracy and ensures safety and, 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 and peace in our communities. Uh, but um, the level that the left have got to now um, with the constant name-calling um, with the undercurrent which Shorten got into in terms of attacking Morrison's that we saw his faith and his, and his values, uh, I don't think have a place in, um, in our society. And I think we should, we should, we should be able to uh, disagree with people um, in, a civil, in a civil way. And, um, and I think in the main, um, most Australians do. Do you think um, the growth or the strength of these progressive values now is anything to do with the number of people going through university? Well, I think there's no doubt that there has, there's been a march through our institutions um, for some time, and um, we're seeing we're seeing the fruits um, of what has occurred. Uh, but what they um, what they can't help is that when people get a job and they get married and they have children and they've got to start paying tax and they've got to pay a mortgage, they get a pretty heavy dose of reality. Um, and uh, you know, some with five kids, and you know, you, you deal with this every day. And life, uh, and, and life is a challenge. You 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 want to work hard, and you want to, and, and you want to be rewarded um, for that work. And and those um, and those uh, progressive, um, well, what they call progressive views, I said they're probably regressive views um, towards back towards a socialist society. Um, really, have not have not been successful. And I look at New South Wales, for example. We're kind of bookended between um, two Labor states. In Queensland and Victoria, and look at the values that we have um, promoted here in our state: um, cutting taxes, reducing regulation, investing in infrastructure, um, uh, having that having a strong financial position has enabled us to provide greater opportunity and prosperity for people across our state. The lowest unemployment rate, the strongest jobs growth. Um, on most measures, we we lead the way. Whereas we see those other high taxing states the more socialist intervention um, in people's lives, um, those states having a lower quality of life than, um, than um, on an economic front than we see here um, in our state. We don't believe um, what we believe in just for the philosophical point. It, that's, it's a means to an end. It's for the outcome that we can provide um, for, for our people. And I think, um, sure, you can take over, you, you, can, you can get into the schools, you can get into the universities, but at the end of the day... Um, uh, there's a dose of reality that you wake up to. And um, it wasn't that long ago that we had members of the Labor Party in the Parliament writing to Hugo Chavez to get him to come out to, 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 to New South Wales and, and, uh, and, and, and talk about the great uh, Venezuelan um, economy and why the, the philosophy over there is, was working wonders for them. Well, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's, there's uh, always a, 
a banquet of consequences that you wake up to in circumstances with that come from those those policies and uh, uh, we see that we see that evident today because there's a very similar instinct isn't there central planning it's, it's socialism and that's what's driving uh, both the Chavez approach and it seems to me the modern labor approach they want everything ordered by government and yeah. redistribution to even things out even even the idea which should be totally absurd in this election that the government should subsidize wages for a certain group of workers I mean that was the most bizarre policy I mean and the more subsidies you provide the higher the cost um, it it becomes and we're in this absurd uh, world now that you're actually given more benefit if you get someone else to look after your kids than if you look after them yourself um, and to sit there and somehow pick winners um, it, when it comes to what work should be paid more and you're going to get the government to subsidise it, uh, you couldn't get a more blatant socialist approach. Um, uh, in, in, in many, many years, decades um, in this country, and to sit there and somehow liken what Shorten was offering to the years of Hawke and Keating, it was, you couldn't be further from, uh, further from the truth. Um, this was by far the most blatant um, campaign uh, promoting socialist values um, that were rejected um, by the people of Australia in circumstances where the Liberal Party, let's not forget, I mean, this will all get unpacked over time, but it wasn't like the Liberal Party had crowned itself with glory at a federal level over the last few years. Um, if there was an election we were going to lose, it was going to be this one um, with the instability, the challenges, the retirements, the sniping. There was a, there was a, there was this, this um, last few years have been very difficult for the Liberal Party. So the fact that despite all of that, Scott Morris was able to stay to the ship, stay on message and say, look, we haven't, we haven't got it all, we haven't got it right completely, but in the main, here's what we believe and here's what we're going to go as a country um, moving forward, um, really demonstrated um, how badly um, uh, the, the public uh, took um, Labor's policy, socialist policies for. And my sense is if Scott stays true to his values, stays true to the liberal philosophy, uh, that at the next election he will only increase his margin um, than, he has, than he has today. And that's why I think this election was so important on so many fronts. Um, but when you talk about walking, marching through those institutions, um, I really think this has put a, a significant halt on the march of socialism um, through Australia. You wouldn't want to be too triumphal, though, would you? Because the, the bad ideas always have a, a way of creeping back in. And you, and you always, and, and they will, um, and they will, um, and we always have to be there to be alert uh, to those, but also not just simply play defence. We've got to make sure that we win the battle of ideas. The problem with the Liberal Party over time, as I've spoken about this, is we end up being the clean-up crew for the Labor Party's mess. Um, and once we've fixed the joint, um, we're then thrown out and then all of a sudden the socialist values um, start, start, to, start to erode society again. Um, we now have a great opportunity in New South Wales being elected for um, our third uh, term um, and now Scott Morrison does as well as, a, as, as at a federal level um, to, to move our state forward um, and, and not just simply be on the defensive and argue against Labor's policies but promote the ideals um, that have made um, our country great, and that is lower taxes, uh, more freedom, um, and, the and provide the opportunity for families to get ahead, uh, to work hard, to contribute, um, and, um, and make sure that 
um, we can we have a holistic society um, where uh, where freedom where freedom reigns and, and opportunity is there for all of us. Well, on that very optimistic note, thank you, Dominic Perrette, for joining us again. I look forward to talking to you again uh, as as things develop over the next. Uh, few years, but uh, good luck with your forthcoming budget and good luck with your, your third term in government. Thanks, Nick. Pleasure. And that's it for this edition of The Water Cooler. If you've enjoyed it enough, please give us five stars and pay us a visit at menziesrc.org.